You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, enlightened, light fast, lighthearted light bulbs. This is Good Job mm-hmm. Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. Today's show is episode 86. And of course, I'm your humble host, Karen, and we are your block rockers who squawk and talk about socks and rocks. Oh. <laughs> I'm Colin. I'm Dana. And I'm Chris. We've covered socks and rocks, probably. Yeah. Rocks, definitely. Rocks, definitely. Yeah. Socks, maybe not. All right. Ooh, put okay. it down on the list. All right. Socks. socks. Let's jump into our first general trivia segment, Pop Quiz Hotshot. All right, you guys have your barnyard buzzers ready. Indeed. Yes. And I picked a random card from the box, a random trivial pursuit card from the box. Here we go. Blue wedge for geography. In the Lord of the Rings movies, what country stands in for Middle Earth? Oh, Dana, the New expert. New Zealand. Yes. Oh, correct. I get it. I didn't understand the question. I didn't either. I thought Me neither. I didn't understand. It's a poorly oh. worded oh. question. I thought it meant like it's a symbol of what country, like Middle yeah, Earth yeah, is yeah, like yeah. England. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Pink wedge for pop culture. Which of these was not an enemy of the Enterprise on Star Trek? <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, was not an enemy. Okay. 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 There's three choices. All right. The salt vampire, uh-huh. the goa uld, or tribbles. Uh, uh, Chris. The Goa Yeah! Okay. Yeah. I'd heard of the salt vampire, as funny as that is. I didn't know if triples were the, their yeah, enemy. I guess, really. the, I guess they were an enemy. They're more of a nuisance right, than an yeah, enemy. Yeah. The Goa Uld, and they are evil parasitic creatures in the Stargate series. Oh, oh okay. So, yeah. Trick. Huh. All right, Yellow Wedge. In 2000, what family values Republican married his third wife, a congressional aide, with whom he'd allegedly had an affair? <laughs> Uh, was, that be, was that Newt Gingrich? Correct. Ah, mm. yes. Purple Wedge. What architect designed the Walt Disney Concert Hall, the Guggenheim Bilbao, and the Experience Music Project? Oh. Father of modern architecture. That yeah. is uh, Frank Gehry. Correct. Yeah. Lots of shiny, squiggly things. Yes. <laughs> if you think of architecture, it's shiny mm. and it's squiggly. It's probably going to be <laughs> yeah, Frank Gehry. The you know? Walt Disney Concert Hall was pretty shiny and squiggly, squiggly for sure. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Story checks out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Green Wedge for Science. Giant pandas Hua Mei and Mei Sheng were born at what zoo? <laughs> Colin. Uh, is that the National Zoo in Washington? Incorrect. I mm. think that's Taishan and uh, somebody okay. else. Another big zoo. San Diego? Correct. Mm. Yeah. All right. Right. Last question. Orange Wedge. What culinary school dropout made the 2008 Forbes list of top celebrity chefs? 2008. Call. 2008. Oh, I actually didn't buzz, I don't oh, think. Oh, I'm happy mean, to guess. Anthony but... Bourdain? <laughs> Incorrect. No. Gordon Ramsay? Incorrect. September. 2008. Uh, Emerald Lagasse? Incorrect. It's funny that it's an uh, orange wedge. Orange. It's, uh, orange. It is Mario Batali, huh. who wears orange clocks. Mm. <laughs> All right, good job, brains. So in previous episodes, we've taken you underground. We've taken you up in the air. And we, we've touched upon some stuff, but we never did a, a whole episode dedicated to water. Really? So we talked about a lot. I mean, uh, yeah. Chris, you talked about uh, the mechanics of drowning. Oh, you know, yeah. We talked about how mermaids or how I thought mermaids would mate. <laughs> yeah. yep. uh, but never dedicate a whole episode to it. So this week, we're going to talk about the life aquatic. 
All right, well, you guys can smell the salt in the air. Uh, I have a nautical quiz I've put together for you here. Uh, so as you guys know, we get these uh, in pub quiz, these nautical terms. And this is one of those realms, I think, where we all think we know what these terms are, but you press a little bit and then, I don't know, at least speaking for myself. Right, yeah. right. Well, let's probe here. Let's right. see. Let's see. Let, so, let us probe. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about the parts of a ship. All right. Okay. Uh, okay. So, I mean, you guys know what the, the front and the back part of a ship are called? Called. I think so. Yeah. Fore and aft? Uh, oh, it's true. In terms yeah. of direction, I'm talking about the, the bow and the stern. Oh, okay. So the bow is the front of the ship, and the stern is the back of the ship. I okay. did not know that. The Have, bow is the front. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So maybe because it's arched like a bow, maybe you can remember oh. that way, like the bow, the bow. Generally. Stern like yeah. um, ass. Yeah, it's like a stern butt, an angry, no, just like that. I don't know. Angry butt, yeah. yeah. Right. The <laughs> SS angry butt. Good. good first pass at these mnemonics. Yeah, there yeah. We we're we're already off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, have you ever heard the expression from stem to stern? You ever heard that before? No. Like, yes. talk about something in its entirety, from mm-hmm. stem to stern. And that, that's a nautical expression. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, but what's like, the stem? So the stem, uh, is the very, very front part of the bow, kind of the curved part like you especially yeah. see it on like old wooden ships right. there's that one sort of beam that kind of curves up around the front is that yep. where the yeah. naked lady sometimes is at she would be like attached in that okay. vicinity yes you know, those pirate ships has those naked ladies right so the stem the very front part all the way to the back the stern so the whole ship stem to stern okay all right okay. yeah so okay. good we got that down do you guys <laughs> you guys might know uh what are the terms for left and right when oh, you're aboard a ship what? when port, you're aboard a port ship. and starboard yes yeah. port and What's starboard what? Well, why don't you tell us there, Chris and Dan? <laughs> which is which? Which is which? Port is left and starboard is right. That's correct. Okay. Port is left. And you can just remember, the way I always remember, port is just four letters, left yeah. four letters. Do you know why starboard? Do you know where we get the word? It's starboard. Like it. Oh, it is a fun oh, word. Oh, it's not starboard. Starboard. Or starburst. Oh. Okay, starburst. <laughs> Port and starburst. Starboard. <laughs> Just starburst. It's like a, it sounds like a kind of a, a lowbrow mixed with highbrow dessert. Like yeah. some port and port a starburst. And starburst. <laughs> do you know where that comes from? I do not. Looking at the stars. Navigating. I think I always thought it was something, yeah, like mm-hmm. navigating by the stars. Yeah. I mean, so port is pretty straightforward. That's the side on which the ship affixes so to port. port. The port, oh, you know, it'll, yeah. it's on the left side of the ship. Why? It's forward. It's just always like that. Well, it's, it's funny. It's, it's connected to, uh, starboard. So, so the word actually comes from an old English word, stairboard, S-T-E-O-R, meaning steering, the Uh. same root as steering. This is the steering side of the ship. Okay. In older ships, the rudder would be just off the right side of the ship. It wasn't directly in line with the back of the boat, and the person would just steer the rudder, you know, and since most people were right-handed, they would stick the the rudder, the theory goes, the rudder would be on the right side of the ship. So since the rudder's out there, you almost by necessity have to pull into port on the left side of the ship. So you can't damage the steering mechanism. Wow, okay. Up until, uh, well, until the 1800s, then they would use the term larboard 
for port for the left side. Okay. So starboard and larboard. Okay. And you can That's actually a, a cop show. show. That's yeah. a cop show. <laughs> that can get a little confusing, especially if you're in, you know, the heat mm. of battle or something like you're that. Yelling. So oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. So eventually the Royal Navy, uh, the British Royal Navy adopted port and starboard is, yeah. and those sort of became the you de facto. Yell, you're like, yeah. All you hear is our board. Uh, yeah. Which oh, one yeah. am I which turning? One yeah. Yeah. It's natural selection, yeah. really. What unit of measure do we use to measure how fast a ship is going? Where's my buzzer? Oh. Go ahead, right buzzer. Oh. <laughs> Karen. Uh, not. Yes, mm-hmm. it is a knot. K- K-N-O-T. And so here's a little tip just to note. It's not knots per hour. If you say yeah. a ship is traveling 30 knots per hour, right, that's no. that's incorrect. A knot is a unit of measurement. Speed. Oh, it already has it's, time it's in distance, it. Uh, distance and time. Right, right, right. A knot is one nautical mile per hour. Oh. So a ship traveling 30 knots is traveling 30 nautical miles per hour. Got it. And mm-hmm. a nautical mile is... Yeah, what is a nautical mile? It's, it's a little bit longer than a, a standard mile. Okay. Um, Why? It, um, <laughs> because old times. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> old times. Now, okay. is not just short for a nautical mile? No. So <gasps> this is what? where it gets knots. This is one of those great, great, yeah. direct from its uh, original use meaning words. So in the old days, before they had speedometers and GPS and fancy ways of tracking the speed of ship, they would have what was called a chip log. And what a chip log, originally it was an actual log, but it, more commonly it was a board. <laughs> it was a wooden board that you would tie a rope to. You would toss the log or the board overboard. It has a rope attached to it uh-huh. and tied into the rope at regular intervals are knots. Okay. And as the ship is moving, oh. the log or the board stays relatively stationary. It kind of catches the water. And then the, the operators, you kind of catch you count how many knots are running out through your hands oh yeah. over uh, a given span of time. Wow. You know? So you got one guy's, you know, he's like, go, and start counts off 30 seconds, and you're like, okay, 20 knots. I counted uh, out 20 knots, you know, wow, in this time okay. Right. Yeah. All right, last one here. What What is the meaning of the phrase, anchors away? Uh, if I say to you, anchors away, what, is, what does that okay. connote? Or uh, what do you... Well, I know it's not A-W-A-Y. Ah. Because right? that's what most people think is, yes. like, anch- throw your anchors up. Away, A W E I G H. That's right. Yeah. And anchors, in- anchors away is like we're leaving now. Like we're pulling up the anchors and taking off. It's really connected to pulling up the anchors. When you say the oh, the yeah. anchors away, mm-hmm. what that what that specific meaning is is the anchor is hanging on the line on mm-hmm. the chain. It's not connected to the bottom of the seabed or the floor bed. It's not fully back on the ship yet. Mm-hmm. And right. It kind of makes sense because yeah. right. it's sort of before you get going, you have to move them weigh away. anchor, pull yeah. them up, right? Yeah. yeah. But no. So anchor is pulling it up, drop anchor is dropping it. Yeah. No. Yep. Oh. Yep. You guys know that classic, classic anchor shape, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. traditional shape. It's got the, the sort of the crossbar and the main stem and then the two curved hook parts on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are called flukes. This classic, classic anchor shape is called the admiralty pattern. Oh. And okay. I learned in the course of doing some research, there are many, many, many different patterns and shapes and styles of anchors. Okay. And this just classic, classic one one dates just back. Yeah, just really just visually it has become sort of the, hmm. the shorthand for anchor. Admiral letter T or like the oh, state of like, Admiralty. Yeah, like like yeah. the Admiralty. Yeah. Right, right. Oh, exactly. Admiralty. Admiralty. Oh, like right. Mr. T. Yeah, yeah, yeah not like right. Model T. Right? Not, like, yeah. Mr. not Mr. T joined the Navy. <laughs> and now commands <laughs> a whole can... fleet of ships. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, hopefully that leaves us a little better prepared for our next nautical quiz. So, you know the book 10,000 Leagues Under the Sea? Yes. Right? When they say 10,000 Leagues Under the Sea, the league is a unit of measurement. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? Most people assume that means 
we started at sea level and then went down for 10,000 leagues, and this is what we found 10,000 leagues. It's no, not that. It's not no. that. Yeah. No, it's we went under the sea and then we traveled for 10,000 yeah. leagues. Horizontal. Hor- horizontally yeah. while we were underneath the wow. sea. Because yeah. can you go that deep into the you, ocean? You cannot. You would yeah. die. Yeah. So it really should be 10,000 leagues. Comma. While we were under, under the while, sea. Uh, yeah. While under the sea. Yeah. 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 So when you find the book in your local library, remember to write a comma. Comma. And just tell them you're doing them a favor yeah. as they drag you away. I also have more things to put in our trivia ammo. Mm. In prepping for pub trivia, we got a lot of geography questions and definitely bodies of water oh, yeah. show up. So I'm going to share with all of you guys some mnemonics I myself made up. I won't say that they're super good, but it's just how I remember it. Yeah. So, so you can use it or not, or you can be like, that's horrible. But you know what? It helps me remember something. These are free mnemonics, people. Yeah. Stop complaining. <laughs> Where else right. do you get free mnemonics? Yeah. Free mnemonics. Get your free mnemonics. All right. So the first one are the longest rivers. Okay. The three mm. longest rivers. How I remember is, nay, these rivers are the longest. <laughs> N-A-Y, Nile, okay. uh-huh. Amazon. Amazon. Yangtze. 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 Yes, Yangtze. Okay. Uh, I believe these are the longest rivers. Nay. Nay. These rivers are the these longest. These rivers right. are the longest. That's in order from That's longest to the Niles the longest. Top Niles the longest. Okay. Okay. Top three. Got Top, three. Top three. Great. Okay, which uh, we've talked about this before. Which ocean is the saltiest? Oh, oh. that's right. You did talk about it. It's because one... Some of the it evaporates. Uh, the Pacific. Dana's right. It's Atlantic, and this is not a very good mnemonic. But hey, it helps you remember. Um, I I remember it by Salty Alty. Oh, oh, okay. So, uh, alt, that's good. Atlantic, uh, almost, you know, yeah, almost, alt, but almost. good, so yeah. close. But salty alty, salty alty. Okay. That's kind of like a nickname, yeah. salty alty. All right. One of the things I have the most trouble with is identifying which one's Black Sea and yeah. which one's Red Sea. Mm. Oh. So the Black Sea is located above the country Turkey. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, okay, well, Turkey's bodies are mostly black. Oh, that really? That is the Black Sea. Oh, yeah. And Red Sea <laughs> is where okay. Somalia and uh, the, the Gulf of Aden is where all the Somalian pirates are. So that's the Red Sea because there's violence there. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, okay. A little dark, a little dark. But uh, okay. Black Sea, Turkey's, yeah. This showed up on Pud Trivia a couple times. It is the body of water that's north of the French and Spanish coast. It's called the Bay of Biscay. Mm. Oh, and I yeah. remember it as the Bay of Biscuits. Yeah. yeah. French cookies, biscuits, I don't know. And the largest sea. Do you guys know what the largest sea is? Mm. Largest sea. The largest sea. Caribbean. Caribbean? Caribbean is number two, I believe. Mm-hmm. Largest mm-hmm. sea is... South China Sea. Really? Oh. Yes. And largest C, S-E-A. Think of it as a letter C, yeah. a big C, China. Oh. South oh. China Sea. So then here's the top four largest lakes in the world. Okay. And this is how I remember it. Some very huge mill ponds. Okay. <laughs> Some very huge mill, mill ponds right, like okay. a little pond okay. by, by so, like a uh, superior. superior Vancouver? Lake Vancouver. The... Is that a place? It's the largest in Africa. Oh, Victoria. Oh, Victoria. Yeah, Lake yeah. Victoria. Oh, okay. Lake Victoria. H. Huron. Correct. Oh. And last one. Michigan? Some very huge. Mm-hmm. Lake Michigan. Okay. okay. Yep. So it's some very huge mill ponds, Superior, Victoria, Huron, and Michigan. Huh. So hmm. Victoria is the largest lake in Africa. 
Michigan is the largest lake within one country. Uh, oh, all okay. of it is in one country. Huh. Like Superior here on the borders with Canada. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but Michigan is entirely in one country. Mm. So that's something interesting oh, okay. to remember. So there you go. There are some mnemonics. You have a salty alty. You have nay. That's good. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. Yeah. Rivers are the longest. Black turkeys and... And red pirates. That's, maybe that's the weakest. <laughs> yeah. Of the of all. Bay of biscuits, not that great either. Bay, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, pay of biscuits is also. Convenient. Yeah. Uh, and some very huge mill ponds, largest lakes. Some very huge mill ponds. Some very yeah. huge. Then some very huge mill ponds. Yeah. yeah. How do you spell yeah, like, Biscayne? Is it B I S C A Y N E? B I S C A Y. Oh, Biscay. Yeah. It's almost. It sounds French and Spanish. Yeah. Biscay. Biscay. Like oh, but like as they say it in French. Yeah. You want a biscay? Uh, I don't speak French, by the way. I'm just, I'm just a talented word guesser. <laughs> I'm a talented word guesser. I would say is my greatest strength. Put that on your resume. Oh, yeah. Put that on my LinkedIn. <laughs> Name. I just wanted to know if you wanted fries with that. I don't. French fries. I didn't say I was accurate. I just said I'm good at guessing. Yeah, I can generate a lot of guesses. I really can't. <laughs> so I found out something interesting about our oceans. There's a thing called the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, oh. a.k.a. the Pacific Trash Vortex. <laughs> what? Trash Vortex? This is where the garbage pail kids come from? <laughs> from the trash garbage. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> There's a massive area in the Pacific. And the reason why I'm being vague about and saying massive it's because we're not really sure how oh, how, big, how it big it is exactly. Right. It is a massive collection of the world's garbage floating around in the ocean. Okay. Infused throughout the water in this mm-hmm. area. They're all kind of clusters. There's a, this thing called the North Pacific Subtropical Gyre, which is basically the ocean currents swirling mm-hmm. where they kind of converge. And it swirls around and plastic, a lot of plastic ends up over there. And so anything that ends up in the ocean at some point, the currents just sort of carry it to one centralized... Yeah. It gets to there and it just swirls around and it just hangs out. The water over there is full of plastic pieces Hmm. because plastic, a lot of plastic doesn't biodegrade. It won't break down into smaller compounds. It just gets smaller. So it's photodegrading. Mm. This becomes like confetti in the water, the whole water. And you you can't actually see this garbage patch from from satellite because it's just the whole water is full of plastic Mm. pieces. They call them nurdles or mermaid tears, which sounds We've had nurdle yeah. on this show as like a little bit of something little, right like yeah. that's what it is like you put a nurdle of toothpaste on your toothbrush yes right? but they call them also mermaid tears mermaid right, tears right. and I watched this documentary where people went diving in there and they came out and they were covered in <gasps> it looked like glitter but it was all just little pieces of plastic all wow. over their bodies so, so it's like, like a swirling column of a, trash yes mm. confetti mm. trash mm. degraded plastic degraded nurdles Whoa. yeah mermaid Both tears degraded nurdles yeah <laughs> Like roughly how big, uh, like across, are we talking? Like, is this? So I've seen things that were like it's as big as Texas, it's twice as big as Texas. It's you know like they don't. It's really hard to measure how big it is because you can't see where the borders are. It's Mm -hmm. just okay, all right. But it's not like it's like all of this water is garbage water. Like things, very few things can live here. I think I was picturing something like the size of a backyard swimming pool or something, but not not the size of a state. That is. That's yeah. so sad. Oh. That's sad. The mermaids cried there. Oh. 
Well, I have a happier story about mermaids. Yay. <laughs> I figured if we were going under the sea, oh. we should certainly talk wink, about wink. The Little Mermaid, the famous 1989 Disney film, The Little Mermaid. So originally it was a, a fairy tale by... Hans Christian Andersen. Yes, writer of such other fairy tales as Thumbelina. And he wrote it in 1837. Been a little recap. So it's it's actually pretty close. She is a mermaid princess. She has a bunch of sisters. Mm-hmm. She does surface above the water and she sees a prince and the prince gets into a shipwreck and she rescues him and she gets him back to shore and she goes back to the sea and she meets up with the sea witch who trades her her voice, her beautiful singing voice for mm-hmm. a pair of legs. Mm-hmm. Now it starts splitting off a little bit because there's a little bit <laughs> yeah. more at stake. So in the Hans Christian Andersen story, walking on her legs feels yeah. like walking on broken glass, oh. he describes yeah. it as. And the prince loves to see her dance. And so she dances <laughs> even though it hurts That's even me. worse yeah, he than He just walking. likes the look on her face. <laughs> Really? <laughs> That's so messed up. Curse basically is still the same. She does not get a, if she doesn't get a kiss from the prince, she doesn't get her voice back, etc. Mm. But also, if he marries another woman, she will die. Mm. Um, so, guess what? Prince marries another woman. Yeah. And her sisters show up with a magical knife that they got from the sea witch and they said, it's all good. Take this knife and murder him in his sleep yeah. before the next day dawns and you won't die. Oh, so she's oh, like, wow. eh, sounds good. So she takes the <laughs> knife in and she has to kill the prince and his wife, but she backs out and decides she can't do it. And she throws herself into the sea as dawn breaks and she turns into sea foam and dies. And the end of the story is she gets to go to heaven. So do you guys know in what decade the Walt Disney Company first started working on um, mm. The Little Mermaid? Just by the way you asked that, yeah. I know it's going to be Aaron. old. 1970. Earlier. Whoa! 50s. Whoa. Earlier. Wow. Really? Was Disney himself still alive? It was oh, yeah. the end of the 1930s. Wow. Right after they finished Snow White. They started oh. shopping Little Mermaid and other Hans Christian Andersen stories. Yeah. And they did concept artwork and stuff. And oh. then it just sort of, they, they didn't really do it and they just worked on other stuff instead. Wow. But they had, huh. they had batted around Little Mermaid. End of the thirties. End of the thirties. I want to say the 1930s. Into the, into the early forties. Wow. Yeah. Yep. 50 hmm. years in the making. Well, yeah. Kind of. When they started up in the 1980s, they picked up the idea again. The people working at Disney at that time didn't know that Disney had like done some preliminary work in the thirties. But they found it in the archives. Hmm. There was a uh-huh. Disney illustrator named Kay Nielsen, oh, yeah. whose work had been used for the um, for the Ave Maria and the Night on Bald Mountain sections oh, of Fantasia. Fantasia. Yeah. Really striking visual work. You seem to know something his about Kay Nielsen. His stuff is beautiful. Oh, okay. I have a ton of his books. I oh, didn't know that he worked on the Little Mermaid. Though. Yeah, That's so cool. he had done some concept art for Little Mermaid, and oh. this was inspirational to the '80s crew. And mm-hmm. he actually got a posthumous credit um, in oh. the Little Mermaid oh, oh, for awesome. visual development artist. There is, and I, I was really interested to find this out because I. Know this movie, there is another 1980s mermaid movie whose existence had an impact on how the Little Mermaid shook out. Oh, um, is it, Splash? it is Splash! Yeah. Starring Tom Hanks Starring, and Daryl Hannah. Yes. That was also and formative. Eugene yeah. Levy and John Candy. And John Candy. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you know what's interesting about, about that movie? Like what famous first Splash is? Famous. Was that, oh, was that the first Ron Howard directed film? It wasn't the first Ron Howard directed mm. film. It was the first film released by Touchstone Pictures, oh. which was Disney's brand. Disney 
merely did not make the Little Mermaid because they had uh, they had had a big hit with with Splash and they felt it was maybe too similar. Um, and so that's why I kind of got put off in the early '80s. But then by the late '80s, they were ready to come back to it. Anyway. Ariel from The Little Mermaid was made a redhead so she would not look too much like Daryl blonde, ah. long-haired oh. Daryl Madison. They looked at um, the astronaut Sally Ride's hair in space oh, as really? a way of figuring out how to draw how her hair underwater. Water. <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought they modeled her after Sally Ride. They modeled her for like, Sally oh. Ride. No, they did model her after Alyssa Milano. Really? At the time, was it the, the child the actress bo- on yeah. Who's the Boss? Yeah, they, they drew her like Alyssa Milano. What Disney ended up doing, the pivotal decision that they made is they hired Howard Ashman, who was a, a playwright mm. and lyricist who yep. came along with his um, you know working partner uh, Alan Menken, Menken. Mm. the musician. Now, do you know what these two guys did right before Little Mermaid? What they worked on together? They were on a Broadway musical. Yes. Right? Oh man! Hmm. It was a it was nineteen eighties. Was a Broadway musical that had a very successful film version in the in the late. middle of the eighties. It's too late for that. Ashman Greece. and Mankin worked. Oh, on. Newsies. It's not Newsies. No, no it was, that was later, <laughs> and that was not a success. <laughs> um, uh, no, it was a Little Shop of Horrors. Oh. Ashman and Mankin were Little Shop of Horrors. And so they bring in Howard Ashman and he, and he didn't just like write the lyrics to the songs. Like he came in as like a sort of an, he was a producer on Little Mermaid Mm -hmm. and came in and was like, let's structure this movie. Like a Broadway yeah. musical. Yeah. That was the creative reboot for them. It was like, let's structure this like a Broadway musical and like, you know, have the songs be the sort of major mm. kind of story Numbers. beats. You yeah. know, yep, yep, yep. So here's some other bits of trivia that explain, you know, more elements of how did they get it turned around. Well, there's something else that I can definitely mention, which is, so the the woman who was the speaking and singing voice of Ariel was an yeah. actress named Jody Benson. Yes! Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and she, and I mean, obviously she was fantastic, but there is actually somebody else that we can credit for bringing Ariel to life. Uh, her name is Sherry Lynn Stoner. She was a member of the Groundlings, the improv mm. comedy in group LA. in LA, yeah. which also included Paul mm. Rubens, Sherry O'Terry, Pat Morita, mm. Mr. Miyagi was in the Groundlings. Really? True story. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Disney with the Little Mermaid went back to something that they used to do back when they did movies like Snow White. They shot live action uh, reference footage. So basically they'd take actors and bring them in and have them act out all the scenes. And so Sherry Lynn Stoner was the actress that did Ariel. But if you go back and you look at this footage, which is on, I think the more recent like Blu-ray that they, that they did, she is improving all the, the mannerisms of Ariel mm. that made it into the movie when Ariel is blows yeah. her hair out of her eyes. All of her, her really quirky physical mannerisms is, it's all being acted out. By hmm. Sherry Stoner, it's actress. So, like, that's wow. why that character is so kind of mm. human. Yeah. And one final thing: The Little Mermaid was the first of the Disney movies to use Pixar technology. Ah. Um, there was one scene at the very end of The Little Mermaid when they sail off together, Ariel and the Prince. And there's a there's a transparent rainbow. Yeah. That is done with computers. But you might have been thinking, Karen, is that Beauty and the Beast? actually used a computer rendered I thought it was I thought the CG. first one was Aladdin with the magic carpet. Oh that no. Was the first, I thought that was the first time like a computer animated thing shown on screen. No, Beauty and the Beast, Beast, the ballroom. Right. The ballroom yeah. when they're dancing, oh, that ballroom right. is CG. That's yeah. right. The whole that's thing. Right. Yeah, you that's look at even, it, the, the animation and the perspective yep. is just Looks perfect different. when yeah. they're, yeah. yeah. You think of mermaid's poop, it would be like fish poop, like they, it's like a string. It's like a string. Like shrimp paint. 
<laughs> so gross. You. Ariel like looks different. Ariel right, different. right, right. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick ad break. A word from our sponsor. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And we're back. You're listening to Good Job Brain, and this week we're talking about things under the sea or ocean or <laughs> other or water in general. So I'm not a big, in general, a really big naval history guy or military buff, but I, I've always, always been fascinated by submarines. It's, it fascinates me because it's this self-contained world. I think it's why I was always interested in spaceships too. I feel like oh, I feel okay. like submarines okay. are more like spaceships than you know regular. Okay, ocean yeah, okay, yeah. sure, sure, sure. Because you can't just get out. Yeah, right. you yeah. can't just you can't just get out. You've got to be the self-contained world and yes. just surrounded by danger. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, and just all the crazy engineering challenges that you sure. have to solve to have a viable submarine. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the water pressure, and people have to be able to breathe, and mm-hmm. it can't, you know, it's got to be able to steer around underwater. I don't know. We were lucky enough to have a friend who worked uh, aboard the Pampanito, which is the World War II yeah. era submarine that they have docked here in San Francisco in Fisherman's mm-hmm. Wharf. The first thing that struck me is just it is so claustrophobic <laughs> in there. Yeah. yeah. It is so tight in there. And I mean, granted, this is World War II era. They're, they're a little bit bigger and more spacious now, but a submarine is not a spacious place. It is, you, you really need to be comfortable yeah. in close quarters, yeah. not, not right. just contained in, but mm. packed in with other people. Right. So you know? suspicions confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they have, you know, they call, do you guys know what a hot bunk is? Have you heard that term before? <laughs> it sounds like a mean thing you do to your little yeah. brother. Yeah, like a hot bunk yeah. at sleepaway yeah. camp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hot box. No, a hot bunk is like on submarines. <laughs> the space is so tight that the the crew works in shifts, mm-hmm. and they don't have beds that are empty. They don't have room oh, on a oh. sub. So you, when they Got change it. shifts, that's when you go to sleep. And so when when I'm going to bed, 
there's some other guy who's just gotten up before me because he's on shift now and I'm coming off shift. So I get in the bunk. It's already warm. It's hot. It's a hot bunk. Uh-huh. Oh. <laughs> it doesn't. It's unsettling. Uh, yeah, I imagine. It's like when you sit in a toilet seat and it's warm. <laughs> and it's like, this is nice, but at the same time, it's like, <laughs> I know where this came from. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The history of subs, it's interesting because you have to start talking about the difference between submersibles and submarines. You know, so there, there are a lot of things in history that are sort of like diving bells, glorified diving bells, basically, where it's, you can sort of get below the surface of the water and look around and you have a limited amount of air, but you can't drive it around. You, it's not really self-sufficient. It can't mm-hmm. last anyway, kind of like a bell or a bowl almost that you, you would get a person inside in there and you lower it very carefully below the water and it mm-hmm. maintains a pocket of air. Or lower there. it not carefully at all, depending <laughs> yeah. on if you like them. You yeah. know, there's sort of some criteria that make a true submarine. Like, uh, it's, it's basically... It's, <laughs> you have to stay alive when yeah. you're in it. That's, you know what? I mean, it's <laughs> funny to say that, one. but that's <laughs> number part one. of it is it needs to have some degree of self-sufficiency. I'll in send terms you down of, <laughs> as far as you want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some okay. degree of self-sufficiency, yeah. some amount of oxygen, some, some way of controlling buoyancy is really important. That you can control how far below the water you go, and, and whether it's weights or can pumped air, pumped water. And then the ability to, to, to navigate underwater. Like, these are sort of the hallmarks of a real sub. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, this, this is not going to surprise you that military goals really push along oh, sub yeah, development. Yeah. That's like, oh, wait, we can use this in warfare. We can use this to battle. And it was the American Revolutionary War where the first modern workable submarine. Hmm. Wait, uh, really? Yeah. 1776. 1776. In the war? It was used in the war effort. And this wow. is amazing. Yes, it is the turtle, nicknamed the turtle. It's not very okay. heroic. Well, you know, I mean, it's, it was more descriptive. It, it right. was, yeah. it, actually, they say, I mean, it looked more like a clam than a turtle, but it was sort of named after its, after what it okay. looked like. It yeah. was tiny, first of all. It was made to hold one person. Okay. And it was like two, two wooden kind of clamshell halves huh. uh-huh. fused together. It was, it was constructed, you know, not unlike a barrel. I mean, it was staves of wood, okay. lots of tar, uh, steel bands hold it together, make wow. it watertight. Right. And now was sure. this used by the British against the rebellious colonies? No, or? this was no. used by the good guys. This was used oh. by the... <laughs> we draw a line in the sand. I guess so. Uh, don't, we don't take a lot soon. of sides here, Colin. <laughs> yeah. No, it was invented by a guy named David Bushnell, who was a, uh, a freshman at Yale when he started Whoa. developing this. This, huh. yeah, it really kind of puts me to shame. I was thinking what I was doing my freshman year of college. I was not developing submarines, that's mm-hmm. for sure. He made a barrel. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, uh, a clam barrel. He was yeah. working on two things sort of simultaneously. He was working on underwater explosives, and then he also developed the the turtle, and they got General George Washington to agree to use the turtle in in an actual battle. So, now again, like when I say submarine, you might be thinking of like Hunt for Red October, all right? Now, this thing was, it was like 10 feet by 6 feet by 3 feet. Like, it was Mm. one person, Mm -hmm. it was all hand-crank powered, like the the propulsion, the the valves, the pumps, everything was hand-powered. It only had enough oxygen in there for about 30 minutes underwater. Okay, all right. So, yeah, this was, you know, it was early era. Okay. But nobody was expecting it. That's right. Nobody <laughs> was looking no. for the turtle. Now, as you can imagine, like we talked about, you got to be able to breathe, okay. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. you got to be able to drive the thing. It was hand-powered. What's the other thing you need to be able to do when you're in a dark vessel underneath the water? Oh, see. You need to be able to see. Yes. All right, so they didn't have electric lamps down mm-hmm. there that you can't be burning candles, obviously, because it's no. going to burn up your oxygen. Yep. They used Foxfire. Do you know what this is? This is 
bioluminescent fungus. Oh. Yes. From the forests and stuff. This huh. was the source of lighting and the turtle, the submarine. They they had a, a chunk of cork basically that that had that was covered with with foxfire and that was what lit the inside <laughs> oh, of the turtle God, was this so greenish awesome. this greenish bluish bioluminescent okay. fungus. Now nice. I love it. This is awesome. It's like a game of it's thrones. It's so naturey. It's like it's like made by a badger. That's who yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can imagine this yeah. in a in a movie or like, like a in, in Bioshock. Yeah, yeah, it is very... Mr. Toad's Wild yeah. Ride. That's yeah. his submarine. Yeah, exactly. Really just kind of creepy yeah. light. So by 1776, George Washington was like, yep, let's we're, we're ready to use this. So they were using it in defense of New York Harbor. Hmm. And the plan was to send it to attack the HMS Eagle. And so they towed it in as close as they could get yeah. it. Like, it wasn't yeah. fast. Like, I remember his hand cranking operating. Yeah, it went like right. three miles an hour. It was yeah. only 30 minutes of air. 30 minutes of air. Yeah. So they would tow it out and then get as close as they could before it would submerge and go, you know, sneak up and attack. <laughs> So I mentioned that David Bushnell was working on underwater explosives, right? Ah, okay. So the plan was the turtle was go underwater, sneak up to the <laughs> ships, attach a time bomb, yeah. essentially. Oh, yeah. It's like a barnacle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Secret barnacle. Like with an elaborate clockwork mechanism that could continue to work underwater with Bushnell's water safe explosives. And crank uh, away. And then it would like swim away, <laughs> right? Yeah. As far away as it could and then it would blow up. Yeah. So it was sent to attack the HMS Eagle volunteer from the army he made a couple attempts to attach it he just he was not successful uh, and it, it's a little unclear why mm. he just he couldn't get it stuck onto the hull he may have encountered like iron plates so he had to flee and as he was fleeing you know he reported that he was spotted so he kind of he detached the explosive and yeah. just kind of just fled yeah, away yeah. Yeah. and his thinking was like oh maybe they'll, they'll maybe they'll take the explosive in and it'll blow up on board the ship good, it good. didn't it exploded in the harbor apparently it was quite spectacular oh. by all accounts oh, yeah. so it works uh, it didn't take the ship down so it all was right. Technically, it, an it unsuccessful attack. Yes, the, the explosion yeah. did go off. Uh, they did run the turtle on at least another mission or two. It, oh. it never did succeed in wow. sinking a ship directly. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, I encourage you to go look up pictures of the turtle, the, the, <laughs> the first sort of modern submarine. <laughs> it does. Oh, it looks it does. like an acorn. It looks, <laughs> it's oh, like an underwater yeah. acorn. It does. Yeah, that's a really good description. It does look like an acorn. <laughs> yep. Wow. Neat yeah. idea. So for this episode, I wanted to explore um, aquariums. Like, you know, we have like a, a fish tanks and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And it kind of took me to a very strange world. So I want to tell you guys a story. Half of it is hypothetical. Okay. Uh, half of it is based on true events. And so this is kind of based on a TV show segment I watched uh, from a TV show called Life After People, mm. which oh, yeah. used to be on the History Channel. I don't think it's... Yeah. Anyway, I mean, I well. guess now it's on the internet. <laughs> uh, fantastic show. Basically, the premise of the show is what happens when all of a sudden, just all of a sudden, every human person just disappears. What will happen to our world? Mm-hmm. That The world that we would leave behind. One of the things that they talked about in the show is what will happen to aquariums uh, if human whoa. if humans are not involved in maintaining it and yeah. what will happen oh, to all those animals and to the whole facility and the whole system uh, as we know like in a lot of the big uh, aquariums or research institutes it's very heavily monitored by humans right yeah. so i'm just going to run you through hypothetical situation this is what will probably happen and it's a little bit dark but but stay with me <laughs> okay. stay with me so first of all no humans means probably the first thing to go is electricity. So mm-hmm. no electricity. Most aquariums will have a emergency generator that will mm-hmm. last a week. No electricity means that the pipes in the system will stop piping in 
oxygen mm-hmm. will probably stop removing the waste and basically all of your water will be filled with ammonium mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, from from fish poo and uh-huh. fish pee and so the the fish in the in the water ammonium poison water will start taking in ammonium and they'll die because yeah. it's it's poisonous mm-hmm. to their bodies mm-hmm. the next thing is the temperature is going to rise up cuz there's no ac Mm-hmm. There's no one controlling the actual huh. air that's in the facility. So it's going to get really, really hot. And then the water is going to get really, really hot. Then you have more fish dying. And even though I'm describing a hypothetical situation, uh, this segment on the, on the show, Life After People, is kind of based on what actually happened to oh. an aquarium in America. This is when Hurricane Katrina attacked. Mm. This is what happened to the Audubon Aquarium of Americas in New Orleans. Oh. Massive, massive storm that happened uh, in the States eight years ago, right? Eight years yeah. ago. And what happened was people were being evacuated. Actually, some heroes, I would call them heroes, who worked at the aquarium stayed, mm. stayed inside the aquarium. Mm. And they actually had a lot of police officers who kind of set up camp and helped feed the animals, helped maintain the wow. animals. During this this horrific storm, at one point, they all had to evacuate. Yeah. They all had to evacuate. Mm-hmm. So the aquarium was left for four days mm-hmm. okay. uh, with no human involvement. The staff came back after four days. Yeah. And there was still no electricity. And the first thing they said when they walked in was it smelled like dead fish it was dark only four days the Mm -hmm. surface of the water was already covered with dead fish dead animals um from little fish to like sharks yeah and the temperature of the water was warm and water was so cloudy they had flashlights the flashlight could only penetrate like an inch oh my (laughs) god yeah just so So four days i'm like that's how Mm -hmm. yeah animals did survive yeah this and they're all animals who breathed air who would come oh. up to the surface yep. so there's the the tarpon uh, which is a fish that would come up on the surface and gulp air and yep. then go back in the water so a lot of the birds a lot of otters penguins uh alligators they all they all survived mm-hmm. and they actually were airlifted Aww. to other aquariums as a safe house or other yeah. facilities oh. uh, throughout the nation so they're airlifted and help these animals and it's kind oh, of that's sad. once they got back in there yeah and it's okay. kind of sad because a lot of the animals that died were either really rare species or, I mean, it's a conservation center. It's very heartbreaking. Another hypothetical situation. If this happened for a whole year, this is only four days. If (laughs) if this happened for a year, only one animal would survive. And that would be the alligator. Really? Yeah, because the alligator can reduce (gasps) its heart rate. Yeah, it reduces its metabolism to one to two Beats per minute. Wow. Wow. That is amazing. Yeah, but I mean, after a year, like, the, it's almost done. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's That's dying a long slowly. time mm-hmm. without food. Dang. That's a crazy alligator. So, yeah. On the happier note, the aquarium had to restock a lot of the animals and a lot of other aquariums in the nation donated. So, like, the Tennessee Aquarium, Chattanooga, donated catfish, like, shark pups. And (laughs) I'm imagining, like, a big barrel, you know, like, uh, (laughs) animal life drive, like, throw some otters in. (laughs) Oh, I've got some spare catfish. We'll put them in the barrel. Four days. Just four days. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. 
We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. All right, and we have uh, one more quiz segment. Dana, are you grace us with a le quiz, le quiz? As yeah. they say, <laughs> as I guess they say. <laughs> yeah. In French, right? French, maybe. All right, so this is just a random grab bag okay. of C and C-related trivia. Get your buzzers ready. Right. Yeah. So we'll kick it off with our good old friend SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> yeah. He man. lives so under the sea. Where under the sea does he make his home? What is, what atoll? I believe it's Bikini Bottom. Yes, the Bikini Atoll, and Uh he's at the bottom of the the Bikini. So Bikini Bottom, yes. All right, so the Bikini Edgy, yeah, Yeah. kind of edgy for a kids show. It's (laughs) funny. The Bikini Atoll is part of what island group? God, we talked about this too. Oh yeah, we have. Yeah, we have. Because it was where they. They nuked. They did some nuclear yeah. testing. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I think yeah. it was part of like it was owned by maybe part of France. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Well, what, island, what's the island group? Island group. Oh, group. Uh, I I can't retrieve it. It's the Marshall Islands. Mm, Marshall yes. Islands. Yes. Yes. So SpongeBob's best friend is a starfish. What's the average lifespan of a starfish? Oh, like, what's his is name? it is it oh. one year, five year, thirty five years, or fifty years? Oh. Chris, fifty years. No. Dang. It uh. is. 35, 35 years. Oh, yeah. so long time. That's still pretty long. Yeah. yeah. In Lewis Carroll's poem, The Walrus and the Carpenter, the walrus and the carpenter trick what type of sea life to walk along the beach with them? Everybody. Oysters. 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 Bonus. Who <laughs> recited the poem to Alice in Through the Looking Glass? Karen? <sighs> the caterpillar. Nope. Was it? Was it the uh, mock com- turtle? Nope. Mm. The dodo bird? No, it was Tweedledee and Tweedledee. Oh, yes. yes that's yeah. right. Oh, jeez. Whoa. Whoa. Oh, yeah. No, I moved my barnyard buzzer. <laughs> that's intense. Was the Pirates of the Caribbean theme song written by Disney or not Disney? Oh. Karen. Oh, the original Yo-Ho, Yo-Ho. Yeah. Written by Disney. Yes. Yeah. It was yeah. written for the ride, but it was based on a shanty by Robert Louis Stevenson. Oh. Oh. Huh. Isn't he a writer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Treasure, not Treasure Planet. <laughs> Treasure <laughs> Island. <laughs> Treasure Island. Planet, Island, it's all, it's all the same thing. Yes. What three-word idiom is used as a euphemism for the bottom of the ocean? Uh, is that Davy Jones Locker? Yes. Oh. That's what it means? Yeah. Not just the squid guy's treasure? No, yes. that's right. Oh, Send you down okay. to Davy Jones' locker. You don't uh, want to go there. That makes so much more sense now. St. <laughs> Elmo's Fire was named for St. Erasmus, the patron saint of sailors. Hmm. Okay. What is St. Elmo's Fire? Oh, it's isn't, a natural yeah, occurrence. Yeah. Re- isn't it related to, um, it's like like some sort of off-gassing or something, it's right? That produced bioluminescent? It's oh, a, really? It's a weather phenomenon. So the technical uh, way you would say it is, it's a weather phenomenon in which luminous plasma is created by coronal discharge from a sharp <laughs> or pointed object in a strong electrical field in the atmosphere. Basically, <laughs> it looks like 
like there's a glowing ball of light around um, like a lightning rod or a ship's mast mm-hmm. or something like that. So sailors would be out in a thunderstorm and the top of their mast would have this big ball of light. And oh, huh. They would be like, oh, it's St. Elmo's fire. Hmm. He's blessing us. What is baleen? Baleen, baleen. I know you've heard this oh, word God, before. It has to do with whales. Uh-huh. <laughs> baleen. The baleen. Um, yeah, baleen whales. Yeah. yeah. It's... Is, is it is it is it the filter that yes. the whales use to yes. filter out it's the, the krill? Filter. Okay. Yes, oh. good job. Oh, yeah, the, the brushy thing, the brushy stuff, like yeah. the car wash mouth. Yes, oh, good job. Whales wow. got car wash mouth. <laughs> yeah. Huh. yeah, this is this is a highly technical term, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Car wash mouth. All right, last question. This is kind of funny. According to ten thousand boatnames dot com, <laughs> okay, as of today, they actually had twenty six thousand boat names. What is the most popular sailboat oh, name? Geez. And I'll give you a hint. Oh, wow. It's a pun on wind. Kind of a pun. I hope it's not like breaking wind or no, something. No, but that would be fun. <laughs> mm, a breeze. Oh, oh, that's, oh, that's good. Not that's bad. good. That's not bad. What is it? Second wind. Second. Oh. So second wind is the most popular sailboat name? Yeah. Wow. That's kind of cheesy. <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome. Uh, and that's our underwater show. Uh, show we didn't, about we didn't underwater. Tape it underwater. That would be really weird. Um, in our homemade submarine. That would be cool. <laughs> in our oh, have you seen they've been the making Lisa a turtle. hotel that's underwater and your room is like in a tube, a glass tube? I will freak out. No, thank you. I, will I was like, freak. that sounds amazing. <laughs> I would stay there. I think that sounds yeah. cool. I would yeah. check it out. That is Instagram cool. some stuff and then go up on the surface and be Okay, like, here's your room. You have 30 minutes of oxygen <laughs> and good night. Oh. Call it the turtle. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Where's the light switch? Oh, here's your fox fire. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Good night. Complimentary. Complimentary. Smells like double tree gives me cookies. <laughs> uh, well, thank you guys for joining me, and thank you guys, listeners, for listening in. Hope you learn a lot about turtle, submarines, Little Mermaid, <laughs> baleen, uh, mnemonics. And you can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and also on our website, goodjobbrain.com. And check out our sponsor at audiblepodcast.com slash goodjobbrain. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.